Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is the fastest growing social media app for outdoor enthusiasts. If you love to hunt, if you love to fish, if you love to hike, if you love to camp, if you like to be outdoors, then you need to download the Go Wild app. It's a perfect place for you to join a community of people a like-minded people who enjoy the same things that you do. You won't be persecuted for posting a trophy pick. You won't be persecuted for, you know, posting meat or whatever like they do on, uh, you'll get some haters every once in a while on Instagram and uh, Facebook. But I think it's a really good place for you to not only share what you do, but join a community and that allows you to meet other people. And who knows what happens when you meet other people. A specific example of is... I posted a comment or something about uh, shed hunting and I met a guy who shed hunts near me and I think we're going to team up and go on a shed hunt together uh, this, this fall. So, or this, excuse me, this spring. So if you haven't had the opportunity, go to the Google play store, download the go wild app. And if you want some more information, you can also go to their website, time to go wild.com. Get outside. It's time to go wild. My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting, the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet chasing bears. Thanks for listening to the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. On this episode, I have with me at the global headquarters, Ford Van Fossen of First Light. Ford's the conservation director of First Light. And also with him is Jordan Riley of Captured Creative. These guys were in Arkansas for about a week. And in this conversation, we talk a little bit about what we were doing. We tell some couple of epic squirrel stories that aren't your classic dedicated squirrel hunt type stories but we hear most importantly about what these guys do so Ford Van Fossen has, has been with First Light for several years but he took Ryan Callahan's spot who was the former conservation director of First Light Ryan's now with Meat Eater so Ford took his spot and Jordan is a is a videographer a photographer is part owner of this media company Captured Creative man they have some uh, great insight into their both of their fields and it's just a fun podcast and you're going to enjoy it i want to make mention of something that i'm doing with uh, with several other groups and podcasts but we're doing a hashtag called trash trophies okay hashtag trash trophies and what we're trying to get people to do is when they're out on public land 
take a Walmart bag or some type of little grocery bag with you and pick up the trash that you see. We think as hunters, one of the uh, pretty pretty uh, functional impact that we could have on public lands is just picking up trash. I know in places that I hunt, trash is a problem. In parking areas, along trails, and different places, you're gonna see trash. And so, take a picture of your trash trophy and hashtag it on Instagram, hashtag trash trophies. Additionally, I wanna direct you guys to the bear-hunting.com store. We just released a new shirt. It's our mule riding bear hunter shirt. Maybe one of the most epic shirts ever created. You're gonna to wanna to pick one up at our, at our web store at bear-hunting.com. And it's, uh, it's, it's classy, it's gonna keep you classy. It's gonna keep you, uh, you know, kind of in the, in the trend. Check it out. All right, we're gonna jump right into it. You're gonna enjoy this podcast. So we are at the Bear Hunting Magazine Global Headquarters here in West Fork, Arkansas. World HQ. World HQ. It's uh, February the 22nd, and I have the privilege of having in my office tonight Ford Van Fossen of First Light. And I'll go ahead and tell the other name before we get into these two guys. The other, the other gentleman sitting in front of me is Jordan Riley of Captured Creative. For everybody who who would follow much of what I do would would know First Light from well from maybe many different sources. But uh, Ford, why don't you uh, why don't you tell us I don't know give us an introduction, tell us who you are, tell tell, tell us what you do for First Light. I'm Ford Van Fossen. I am First Light's conservation and content manager. Okay. Yeah. Okay. New title, I had to think about New that title. a little bit. Yeah. It's always evolving. So Ryan Callahan went to Meat Eater. Ryan Callahan was the former conservation director of First Correct. Correct. Yeah. He was. He was. Mm-hmm. So I've assumed some of his conservation Are you going to grow piece. a mustache? <laughs> no. No, because I'm, <laughs> I'm still actually, I'm hoping here in the next couple of years, puberty is going to come through for me. But until then, Not I'm yet. mustache-less. Not yet. No. Okay. Well, we're going to get into more detail, and what we're going to talk about is we're going to, I want to hear some about really what you do forward and uh, for First Light and talk a little bit about that. But quickly, I'll introduce Jordan Riley of Capture Creative. So Jordan, introduce yourself. Oh, you didn't tell us where you're from, Ford. I uh, i am from Trap, Maryland. I live in Ketchum, Idaho at uh, First Light's Global okay. International World Headquarters. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Jordan. Yeah. Tell us who you are. Yeah. Well, Jordan Riley. I am one of the owners of Captured Creative. Um, Taylor Coleman is back in Minnesota right now, but yeah, Minnesota-based um, production media production company. We shoot photos and video for a bunch of cool brands and get to hang out with a, a lot of cool people along the way. Yeah. So these guys are here in Arkansas. They're They've been here for four days, and we've been doing some been doing some hunting down here. We uh, we squirrel hunted with mules on Wednesday with yes. Trey Autry and Michael Lanier, and then on uh, on Thursday we did a little bit of deer hunting. Is that right? And we yep. also went raccoon hunting. And uh, today we did a little scenic tour of the Ozarks. Got out in some of the rough country of the Ozarks and. Uh, saw some pretty cool country yeah. and uh so it's been a absolute blast having you guys down here it's been fun a lot of firsts these last couple of days I'll what say. okay what what would have your first what would your first have been now ford is from the shallow south in maryland <laughs> as we have defined which which is a total shock to me i did not realize it but it's very true what he says and ford feels like a southerner to me <laughs> sometimes um, he sounds like a southerner too yeah, he doesn't really know what his accent is. Yeah, he kind of goes all over the all over the board. But uh, no, so what were your first, Jordan? 
I think just about every day there's something first. I'd never been on a dedicated squirrel hunt before, let okay. alone a squirrel hunt. A, a dedicated squirrel hunt yeah, as I mean, opposed there, there to an incidental some, squirrel hunt there, well, like you had with Mr. Van yeah, Fossen exactly. earlier in this year. That was unfortunate. When he missed a squirrel and dropped his... I shouldn't say. I shouldn't go this far. Should we go there? How did this come up again? The same. This came up quick too. Yeah. I, well, the, you, yours would have been an incidental squirrel hunt. Certainly. That ended in a bizarre way. Yes. Certainly. Yeah. So I might, I mean, just quickly, go ahead and tell us what happened. The long and the short of it was, <laughs> we were hunting the rut in Wisconsin. The it squirrel was, rut or the deer rut? It's <laughs> a good question. Thank you for clarifying. Just, uh, <laughs> We the were hunting rut. the whitetail deer rut. Okay. The uh, the whitetail deer rut. It was what I'm told is the absolute peak of the whitetail deer rut in in Wisconsin. Uh, it was in fact what we were there to do was hunt the rut. However, uh, at around 10:30, a fox squirrel, which I have personal interest in as a species, for reasons we don't have to go into, appeared <laughs> at 10 yards, very close. I had two critter arrows. I chose to remove a broad-headed arrow and knock a critter arrow. I mm. shot at the squirrel, did not kill the squirrel, took about an inch of hair off the squirrel's back and figured I would go get my arrow because it was 10.30 and I'd been sitting in a tree for a while and I was going to just pop down <laughs> to where the arrow was sitting in the dirt, only 10 yards from the tree, grab my arrow... Uh, with my bow still hanging on the tree arm back in the tree, proceeded to climb the tree and felt something kind of on my back as I was getting seated back in the stand and turned to watch my bow drop out of the tree into the mud 30 feet below or what have you, 20 feet below. It messed up the bow pretty good. Bent up the bow pretty good. Jordan was filming this whole thing and at this point just laughing mercilessly at me <laughs> so this would be an incidental squirrel hunt that, that was the point we were driving home that was the definition of a of an incidental so what you guys hunt. did this week was a was a purposeful squirrel hunt, a dedicated as you said George. Yep. now have you you've been on a dedicated squirrel hunt and not anything like that one though okay that, not anything. i mean well you're about to lead into mules and dogs and all kinds yeah. of extra accoutrements. Right, right. Which made it all the more fun. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, and I think the original question was the firsts that uh, that we had, that you had yeah. as somebody from Minnesota. Yeah. So, squirrel hunt, dedicated squirrel hunt. Yeah. It was a blast. I yeah. mean, it was just something, I think, I don't know, sometimes people that hunt can kind of get like, singular minded on one species and for me growing up that was whitetails so the woods right. were quote-unquote four whitetails and yeah you didn't really want to do anything to that precious little chunk of land that you had but man after after going on that squirrel hunt i've kind of kind of kicking myself i've been missing out for a little bit yeah. i think because that was you fast. Know, when you said that earlier this week i'd never really thought of it that way you know that i mean yeah. perhaps people wouldn't want to utilize their hunting ground for anything other than white yep. and certainly i know there's properties like that that are managed in that way no doubt yeah but that that would like block out like an entire hunting culture of a region mm -hmm. from like really being into small game hunting is because they're so dedicated to yeah. deer hunting and all the all the studies well there are particular like scientific based or research-based studies that show that raccoon hunting at night does not affect daytime deer activity because like on these yeah. big some of these big leases where there's multiple types of people using the same piece of property i think there's been a lot of historical controversy that like coon hunters would come in run their dogs at night during deer season and all the deer hunters would blame them for not killing deer the next day yeah. and so somebody settled that i don't know who it was but i've heard that research project touted many many times perhaps it's biased but yeah you gotta cite your sources on that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh, hey, if you At google all, it if you google it it's circa there. 1986 yeah it may have been fake news but um i have uh so they said they said that it didn't affect daytime deer movement 
And Conveniently, <laughs> says the raccoon hunter in the corner. This project was funded by the raccoon <laughs> Rocky hunters. Mountain Raccoon Foundation. <laughs> yeah. uh, but so that is neither here nor there. So, but the squirrel, the dedicated squirrel hunt was a first, and we also went on a dedicated raccoon hunt. Right? Yeah, first yeah. time there too. Yeah, that was that's fun. I guess I honestly, I really just didn't know what to expect going into that one yeah and it was i mean there's a social aspect there that i think the closest thing i can relate it to is maybe like a pheasant hunt back home you know yeah. where you can talk only even in a pheasant hunt you're always kind of on edge because a bird could jump up and you have to shoot it right away with this yeah i mean you let those dogs go and we just sat cut the lights and talked yeah it was, it's more like a relaxing type of a you know, you know like that's that's the whole essence really of a of a coon hunt especially and for me is that it's uh it is highly social i i think what part of what i'm doing inside of my hunting especially with my kids is i'm looking for a platform to build relationship you know i mean that's really the essence of it but what makes a coon hunt different than anything else is you do it in the dark in the daytime it's even if, if if there was a group of us standing out in the middle of that field during the daytime or standing by a creek, my kids would have been like off doing something. Yeah. But like the the darkness like forces you to huddle together, and yep. you're just sitting there with your lights off, listening for the dogs, talking. Yeah, that's I think that's neat. And for me, yeah. it's such a contrast to the solo big game hunting that I exactly. do, which we all love. We all we all we all do love that, but it's uh, but it's but it's different. Yeah, it was. It's definitely a different feel. Uh, you know, the only thing though that I thought it was at all similar to was frog gigging. Yeah, that was the only comparison at night. I yeah, had. Yeah, that's true. In terms of waiting for you know waiting for the sun to go down and then wandering around in the dark explicitly. Yep. Totally. I mean, still obviously totally different frogs yeah. and coons being different animals, but yeah, yeah. But that night element was a little familiar that way. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So the the coon hunt was a lot of fun. And we uh we didn't have a real long hunt. We just went out for a couple hours. But we did we did get a coon. A lot of fun. Yeah. Um treed two coons, right? Or one went in the hole. Well, we yeah, we put one in the rocks. Right. Yeah. Put one in the rocks and then and then treed one. So that was a lot of fun. Um so that's what that's what we did this week. I want to talk about you guys though, and uh, perhaps who do we need to talk to first? I think uh, maybe we'll talk to Jordan first, just because we were filming. Yeah, we were, or, or he captured creative. If you guys haven't heard of captured creative, go on Instagram, search it out. Uh, you guys are on Facebook too. Yeah, yep. yeah, and then you can. Also, just check out Jordan Riley's Facebook, Taylor Coleman's Facebook, yep. uh, and Instagram. Yep. And these guys do a ton of work for First Light. They do a lot of a lot of the photography, a lot of the product based photography. And you ought to you ought to tell Ford how you guys hired these guys. Yeah. So Jordan and Taylor were some of our first quote unquote pro staffers. Um, and back. these are young guys. Jordan's 26. Oh, yeah. yeah. So he was just and a this, pup. He was just a pup. <laughs> he was a pup. And this was four years ago, right? Keeping in mind that Ford is only one year older than I am. Jordan's a, Jordan's <laughs> a young pup. I'm two years older. I'll have you know. Ah, well, uh, you're elder. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, we were 2014. I was putting together first, like, sort of first quote-unquote pro staff. And... There's some guys, and I, I'm assuming that you sent some pictures that were good, and we're like, yeah, yeah, these guys should be part of the part of the pro staff for sure. And called Jordan to sort of interview him, and uh, it was the day before your wedding. Yeah, I was walking through the doors of the church to my wedding rehearsal, with a bunch of people staring at me while I took some random call from Ketchum, Idaho. <laughs> yep, yep. So anyhow. That and was, it was you calling him. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Me calling to, to interview him, make sure he wasn't crazy. So anyhow, <laughs> Jordan and Taylor, at some point soon after, sent us a little hype reel 
they made. Is that how you describe it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. We just went out and filmed. It's like, like a, a Minnesota hype reel. 60 second or less reel of just, I think we had some drone footage, some, some other camera type of work in there. Yeah. Sent it to him and heard back pretty shortly after, I think. Yeah. My, my boss, uh, Ross Copperman saw that and at least in my head, the story goes that he said something along the lines of, they're going to make product videos for us. So we called them up and I don't know, maybe six months later you were filming, uh, product, product videos for the release of, I think what was then the 2016 line. Yep. Yeah. 20, wow. 2016. You know, that's a classic story that everybody that's into content creation and media would hope would happen. Yeah. They would send their sizzle reel to a major national company and that company would hire them to do work for them. I believe my friend, you have hit the jackpot. I, I agree with that. Yeah. 100%. Well, but what they saw inside of you guys, what they saw inside of your work was a level of excellence that was, is, is just notable, you know? And I think yeah. any, anybody that sees your stuff is going to recognize that. And, uh, and that's valuable. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, we're definitely not the only ones doing it like that. I mean, we try to, we try to kind of make our own thing and make it uniquely us and just kind of keep our heads down and work hard. And it's, it's paid, it's paid off up to this point. We hope we can, hope we can keep things up and kind of keep pushing it, push it a little bit farther. Yeah. Well, Maybe one day they'll actually pay you. I know you've been doing it for yeah, free this yeah. whole time. <laughs> so, right, that's how the pro staff works, right? Yep, yep. They yeah, just submit just stuff. Staff. No, yeah. we cut them like a 10% deal on gear. That's real <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, no. So, so, Capture Creative. So, I want to talk about the, the film In City Limits because both of you guys worked on that. So, First Light, last fall, was it October that yep. that was released? October 24th, I think. is when Okay, so First Light's doing, they they do product videos. Like if you go to the First Light YouTube channel, you would see product videos, but you would also see uh, in the last two years um, two sets of videos, one about Tag, uh, a guy there that works at the First Light office who was not a hunter but drew this unbelievable sheep tag in Alaska. And so there's a series of videos on that. But you would also see a film called In City Limits. That now was Taylor working with you on that, or was it just you and Ford? Yep, Taylor Coleman was. Yep, he was one of the photographers with on that one too. Okay, so Ta- you and Taylor and yep. Ford were with Taylor Chamberlain in Washington D.C. near Washington D.C. Yep. So tell me about the film. So Taylor was another original. Pro, he was another OG pro staffer. I think, uh, I think he was part of the first round of pro staffers. And he is a feller that hunts roughly. Wait a minute. OG is OG pro staffer? He was one of the first pro staffers. Does that mean original gangster? <laughs> uh, some, might, some, might in, some might say it does, yeah. Carry on. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, he was one of our first pro staffers, I think, Um and he caught my eye immediately because he said something along the lines of, "I, you know, I hunt 150 days a year in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. I'll kill between 40 and 100 deer a year, and mm. I hunt out of swing sets sometimes. You know, it was something <laughs> that brief. And so he wrote a couple blog posts for us uh, through the years, and eventually, as First Light sort of moved into those you know, what we call full content pieces or full okay. fuller length, really content pieces. Uh, Taylor was sort of the first story that came to mind for me just because it was such, or, or it felt like such a unique story. Uh, this guy who was, was really doing more than his part to manage the suburban deer herd there in Northern Virginia and, uh, and also just couldn't get enough of doing so. He just loves it. So had you met him before? Only on the phone. I'd ever only ever so talked. So you'd to him. only talked to him on the phone when you yeah. went. Yep. When, when we flew over there, I think I got there a day before Taylor and Jordan. Um, and yeah, we'd only talked on the on the phone. We met at Reagan Airport. Wow. Yep. So how long were you guys there when you were shooting that film? 
think we filmed for six or seven days. How and so you were you were hunting in the tree with him. Yeah. I mean, so yep. y'all were filming deer hunts. Yeah, we had both uh, Taylor Coleman and I uh, were. You know, one of us would be kind of in the tree with Taylor Chamberlain, and the other one would be back off some ways to get a little bit better. Because I mean, we were hunting in sometimes as small as half acre pieces of property you know, yeah. right on the edge of lawns basically yeah. so just to kind of really set the scene of the other houses right there and we're yeah. hunting here yeah. just to kind of get that and he's one of those tree saddle hippies he is and he's yeah. he's converting us one by one i think. I know i'm already converted <laughs> it's awesome <laughs> no yeah. they are awesome they are awesome um here's my question how does he so what's the how can he kill a hundred deer a year legally yeah so very liberal seasons to start, you know, in just Virginia's regs in the northern, I think it's five counties, one of which obviously he's in. I don't even remember the details. I think they're regular bow seasons probably early September to, I think it was later than I even respected, maybe April. April or March, yeah. For real. Yep. And that's their regular season. And then they get – um I don't remember the terminology. It's a it's a form of depredation tag. Essentially, mm. it's a, it's essentially mm. a suburban depredation tag, a, mm. an azalea bandit, you know, <laughs> predation tag mm-hmm. or depredation tag. And uh, so, anyhow, the the net sum of that is they can kill antlerless deer from I think whatever it is April until September again. Oh wow! Um, and so there, there's essentially no limit on antlerless deer. Um, I don't remember whether the summer kill permits cover antler deer or not um but then during the regular deer season itself i believe they actually do just have three buck tags does he ever kill any big bucks up there yeah he's definitely had his fair share i mean he he's on some big ones in there for sure yeah so even though he's got these unlimited doe tags basically he could still shoot a buck at any time yeah and i think during the rut he i mean he's He's hunting for a buck in the right. month of November. See, sure. they have urban deer hunts in like seven cities in Arkansas or something. You've got to kill a certain amount of does before you can even kill a buck. Earn a buck, so yeah. Yeah, earn yeah. a buck. Yeah. Earn a buck. Yeah, but, definitely. Well, that that was a that was a super neat film. What uh, can you in the production of that? What were the what were the major challenges, Jordan? I mean. Just, I mean, was that well? Let me back up. Was that the first feature-length film that you had done with First Light? Yep. Yeah, that was the that was the very first one. So, what other films had you done before that? Just some smaller stuff. Not really too much anything for brands. So that was kind of our. I mean, breakouts maybe not the right word, but that was the first. That was the first time Call a, it a brand breakout. kind of trusted us for for a, something that, of that level. Yeah. Well, it was it it was really it was great. It was great. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of fun. A fun to put together that one. Definitely, Taylor's a super fun guy to hang out with, and it was really an interesting world to see. That's you know so different than a lot of our experiences, especially I think in the West or you know in sort of traditional whitetail Great Lake states like Jordan's from, but. The funny thing about sort of the reception to that piece that we were discussing earlier at some point here in the last couple of days is how many people identified with it. You right. know, how many people were hunting in, in semi-suburban areas or mm-hmm. near houses. And, and when I thought it through, I mean, even I'd, I've shot whitetails within 100 yards of folks' houses and mm-hmm. never really thought about it because it was in a kind of quote-unquote rural area. Right. But... Um, yeah, it's 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 I think an ex- it's an increasingly common experience, really, yeah. as, as obviously cities sprawl out, and uh, at the same time as as whitetail populations increase or or at least are still present in those suburban yeah. areas. Um, well, my biggest Arkansas deer came from very close to my house, and uh, and it changed the way that I looked at whitetail hunting because I mean I liked to go to wild places quote unquote to, to hunt deer and ended up killing the biggest deer that i've ever killed in arkansas will probably be the biggest deer i ever killed in arkansas was in a suburban area and uh in 2007 and that's about the time it started to become a thing you know this suburban deer hunting yeah. it was back 
during that time. But uh, a lot of opportunity, and that's the that's the beauty of whitetail hunting is that there's just opportunity so many places. But what you said this week, Ford, in our talk, we had extensive dialogue about bears and bear biology, and um, you said that we're finding out that that bears are kind of the same way, especially in the Northeast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're definitely we. I think we had had a had a sort of a myth in our head that was really I think just informed by where we chased bear to ultimately you know as as sort of colonial pre-americans um europeans whatever you know sort of came and settled north america they pushed a lot of these game species white-tailed deer to some degree to the sort of nether corners of the country and and then I think we sort of assumed that that's where they just live but you know as as we sort of were more you know as as habitat was restored or people were just more open to having bears around we figured out that they can live in most of new jersey you know they're just they're far more adaptable species than we give them credit for i think ecologically it's just a question of um of, of how humans are, are willing to, to deal with them. That really determines how many bears can live in a given place. Yeah, the cultural tolerance of it. That's the word for it. Yeah. 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 Well, speaking of cultural tolerance, we have had pretty significant intolerance at the global headquarters this week of squirrels. Yes, yes we have. I feel like it's only fitting. It's only fitting. That we expound on a, a squirrel incident that happened here at the global headquarters this week we and we don't have to take a lot of time on this even though it's probably the most exciting thing that happened the entire week we did a lot of exciting things this week it was pretty week. exciting it was pretty exciting yeah so we're we're here in the office ford sees a squirrel outside the global headquarters and i just happened to have a 410 it's squirrel season here just happened to have a, a 410 with shells handy and the I didn't. I wasn't try, wanting to hunt. Well, the squirrels been getting in my, in my, in my ceiling. They've been coming in through a hole on the outside, getting in the ceiling. So I have been taking care of squirrels. And we see this squirrel. I run outside and shoot the shoot at the squirrel as it is running away. And I only had one shell in the four ten, and. Uh, these guys are watching this from the outside and they think I've hit the squirrel because they see the squirrel coming out of the tree. Is that right? Yeah. We were watching from inside the office. The squirrel flees off the office. Cause I think it was initially well, coming towards the office. Right? Well, it was on the roof right. of the office right? and I swung around to the Northwest corner in the squirrel and I just meet eye to eye and I'm thinking, should I shoot him on the roof? And I decide not to, even though I wish I had now. <laughs> and he goes over the other side of the office. I sprint around to the southwest corner of the office, shoot at a running away squirrel at about 25 yards with a 410 with number sixes in it, M- miss. Seemingly. Seeming. Unclear. It's unclear, it's unclear what unclear happened. what's going on. But the squirrel runs down the trunk of the tree and sort of disappears out of sight and jordan and i are yelling from the inside of the office he's on the ground he's on the ground he's on the ground (laughs) and i run out to tell you he's on the ground well and so so you i mean you indicate to me that it's dead on the ground (laughs) and so i said i'm like i hit it and you were like yeah we saw it come out of the tree i think it's right here we're looking for it we can't find it so my pup is running around my my plot puppy we call the plot puppy over, thinking that the pup might be able to find it. Which initiates level one chaos. Level one chaos. And I, for whatever reason, had handed you the gun. And uh, and just, I don't know where the squirrel came from. No idea. No it's idea. fairly the, the open. Earth. Yeah. It's like he disappeared into the earth and then emerged from the earth, running up a hickory tree like... No more than eight yards in front of Ford. I'd call it 12. Eight to, I'm going to say eight to 11 yards in front of Ford. And the squirrel runs to our side of the tree and just is like, I mean, just right there at probably 12 feet. He's real obvious, yeah. So Ford's got the gun. There's one shell left in the gun. He pulls up, 
squeezes. Yanks, really. It was a I mean, yank. I, I wasn't going to say it. It wasn't going to be a good I wasn't rifle gonna shot throw you. if it was a 300-yard rifle shot. I wasn't going to throw a fellow squirrel hunter under the bus, but you yanked This the whole gun. story throws me under the bus. This is the second time we've talked about squirrels and embarrassment in me. <laughs> there's, just, there's a real uh, strong a theme. theme emerging here. Well, so he he squeezes the trigger, the gun's on safety. You you weren't familiar with the gun, so I can't fault you for that. Mm, you weren't you, familiar you with the can, gun. Yeah. Well, you squeeze <laughs> and jerk, and then you click the safety off. Boom! And I don't know how that it happened, but you missed the squirrel. Yep. Once again, but again, I'm missing squirrel. Listen, though, the squirrel doesn't run up the tree, which it totally could have run up the tree and just been gone. The squirrel comes down the tree again and runs to the shed near the global headquarters, just south of the global headquarters, and and now we've run out of shells. Yep. So I say, watch the squirrel. Ford watches where it goes. I run in, get shells, and Jordan is still not cued in that like world-class – adventure and excitement is taking place he's just kind of watching a little bit we go out squirrel is in the rafters ford takes a piece of bamboo pokes the squirrel squirrel runs to another section and then i'm up close to the squirrel poking at it it's staying in the rafters and we couldn't figure it out next thing i know the squirrel is like spread eagle flying through the air and it skips off the top of Ford's head such that it knocks his hat back. It didn't knock it off, but I just remember seeing his hat bill move about two inches. There was like a this. light impact. There was a light impact as this squirrel is flying at my face. <laughs> skips off my hat. I think, I'm not sure, I think it touched off my shoulders on the way to the ground. <laughs> but then in a bizarre move, the squirrel, after touching Ford's head, hits the ground and goes back to the shed into a large barrel that's Big in 50 the gallon drum. Yeah. And I'll speed the story up. We can't find the the squirrel in the barrel. There's so, a bunch of bunch of bunch of poles, sticks, shovels, whatever. Yeah. And so I decided it's time to bring out the the real we need to find this squirrel. We weren't sure it was in the barrel. So I go get Fern, my adult good plot raccoon hound. And she's not a squirrel dog, but I knew that if she saw us getting excited about something that she would like you know, get after it. So I turned Fern loose. and We've now reached stage three chaos. Fern is just going nuts. And she realizes I'm trying to sick her on something. And she smells that squirrel. And she's crawling over equipment and trying to get in that barrel and barking and running. And finally, we dig out, dig around, find the squirrel in the bottom of the barrel. The squirrel jumps out of the barrel and runs. I'm not going to say it ran up my arm, but it touched my arm as it jumped onto the tree behind me runs across the top of the office around to the northwest corner where we started and runs into the ceiling of the global headquarters and that's the show yeah it was it was a bizarre turn of events that ruined it really ruined the week but uh anyway. a lot of hounds are balling the squirrel has touched both of us at this point yeah the squirrel seems to be wounded there was blood but didn't act wounded. Didn't. So no, didn't and and the, the most, the thing that stood out to me the most is that as a hunter, there comes a point in any hunt where you, it's like the animal, it's like you know that this is going to happen. When the squirrel was in the barrel, I had the 410. We had Fern and Opie baying in the barrel. Two you men, with two a, dogs. You with, a, you with a bamboo <laughs> stick. I mean, I was like, this. there is no way ironically we were cooking a pot of squirrel and dumplings in the house and we were already like both planning this was just another one to add to the oh, pot it would have been a nice little add to the slow cooker like for real and he got away from us sure so did. it was a sad story sad and jordan came out and helped too at towards the end yeah i'm can you verify that what we said is true? It, yeah. I mean, did I was, it happen that way? I was inside just taking care of some camera equipment and a couple gunshots and some yelling later. I walk outside <laughs> to chaos. <laughs> oh, man. I still don't know how that why that squirrel acted that way, but it was a bad deal. He held tight. It was a bad deal. But for all we know, he is in the in the ceiling of this building right now, chewing the wires. Of my office all right we got to get back to business here guys um 
<laughs> What's a good segue after that into talking to Ford about First Light? You know what I want to know? To me, First Light seems like like the Google of like the, like okay like at the Google headquarters they have like those nap pods. <laughs> we don't have nap pods if that's what you mean. That's that's about where I was going with this. No, just. Uh, uh, I was more thinking those like swirly slides, like multicolored, like children's slides. None of those either. Yeah. Don't have any of those. No, no nap. Pops, okay. No well, tell us, slides. tell us what it's like. No, you have a you have an incredible job. Um, like, what, what's it like working at the first light headquarters? Oh, it's awesome. And how have you seen it evolve? So you started working for them, yeah, yeah, like four or five ago. years ago. Yep, yep, it's grown a ton. It's grown a ton. It's it's kind of become uh, yeah more of a grown up business. We have. Sort of got rid of the nap pods. Uh, yeah, we we do have standing desks. Okay, we have a couple standing desks. They don't mm. seem to get a ton of use. We had some bouncy ball chairs over the years. That was mm. sort of Googleish. Mm-hmm. Those didn't seem to last very long. Mm. Um, but it's great, man. It's it's a really neat place to to work. To so, get. how many people work there? Um, uh, you know, I'm not sure where we're at at this point. Um. 21 will be at maybe really yeah wow yeah and that's but it's kind of not fair to say that because we've got distribution center we've got developers we've got factories we've got uh right. garment architects i mean how would you how would you describe what kind of clothing first light makes to someone who wouldn't be familiar with first light gear oh right yeah so we make uh we make technical hunting apparel yeah uh, scott and kent were the first folks to put uh, I believe in the hunting industry uh, to put camouflage onto merino wool. Uh, right. That was sort of their initial innovation. So they started very much in sort of the base core mid layers, and and in the years since, it's it spiraled out to sort of a full service uh, hunting apparel brand with uh, full gear for whitetail hunters, western big game hunters. Yeah. Uh, anything sort of big and so furry. first light's really known originally for their merino wool and bringing that into the hunting hunting industry exactly as a yep. as a as a kind of a miracle fabric for active hunting yep scott and kenton um were using a ton of merino wool uh in in central idaho snowmobiling skiing uh you know, kind of all kinds of snow sports. Kenton was a big snowboarder also. Scott's a big downhill skier. So so they were using this fabric in sort of other pursuits, um, hiking, fishing, et cetera. But uh, you couldn't find any hardly in, in kind of colors besides black, and even black for September archery hunting right. wasn't really ideal. So that's sort of where that impetus came from, that desire to use that fabric in a, in a context in a hunting context and, and to print it and, or just produce it in colors that were more right. favorable to hunting. Yeah. A lot of people wouldn't, a lot of people in the South I have found, and I, this would include, have included me up until about five or six years ago. Sure. Wouldn't have understand, understood much about wool. To me, wool was what you uh, wore when it was like yep. ultra cold. Certainly. But what these thin Merino wool layers it's actually what you want to wear when it's hot absolutely because it's it's uh it's thermal regulating your temperature sure it's pulling when it's hot it's pulling away it's pulling away heat from your body yep so yeah i mean when the thing that the sort of simple image that's really powerful i think is is a sheep right i mean think about how much wool a sheep has on it and sheep deal with temperatures uh across the world from 100 degrees to negative 10 degrees you know they're pretty outfitted for whatever comes that way and they they certainly aren't putting a whole lot of layers on and off in the process now, isn't that why the best merino wool comes from new zealand because of the temperature swings didn't i, I hear some, yeah one of you guys you know, say I'm, that i i don't actually i'm i'm presuming that the climate is important to merinos well living in i'm new pretty zealand. sure i heard scott robinson yeah. say on a podcast that merino wool from new zealand is is or maybe that's the only place Marina that's Wool is. That's where a lot of it comes from. Yep. But it's but it's because of the temperature swing 
like it, it can get extremely hot, but also extremely cold. And it certainly can. Yeah. And so, and that's exactly what a human would use that wool for. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I'm not honestly sure whether people raise merino sheep there because of the conditions, or whether merino sheep are raised there because of the conditions, right. as in they can deal with the temperature swings. Yeah. But either which way, New Zealand produces a, a good chunk of, right. of the world's merino. Wool. And since so that's so merino wool was the thing that first lights originally started Correct. but now you have a full product line yep. of outer yep. outer layer materials oh, yeah. synthetic materials of all yep. kind of stuff i mean we started sort of i think the first initial desire was completing our own basically september elk kits you know october right. deer kits in central idaho so you know i think we we started with lightweight puffy jackets lightweight rain jackets for sort of the backcountry hunting we did there in idaho and from there we kind of spread uh towards more eastern tree stand oriented stuff stuff for a stationary hunter uh, that has to deal with a lot of a lot of low temps and a lot of inactivity that way in terms of keeping you warm so yeah it's it's been a it's been a process but we now offer solutions for for pretty much all big game hunters east west yeah you know i would say for someone that doesn't own any of this type of gear what you could start off with that would be practical for any hunter hunting in any place in North America would be a, a base layer of merino wool. Yep. I mean, like, yep. I I've pretty much don't do any type of hunting without a base layer of merino wool on skin, you know. And uh, that'd be a good place to start for people. Absolutely. And then next, move up from there. Next skin is next to skin is is the place where you're going to realize those benefits. You really don't realize the benefits until you do it. Yeah. I mean, like I am anti-gimmick when it comes to hunting gear. Like, and uh, and you might hear it, and if you've never wore the thin merino wool, it may not make sense. But once you start wearing it, it makes sense. Yeah. And not not only for active hunting, but for tree stand hunting too. It's a game changer. I mean, yeah from early season tell me how 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 is it a game changer for tree stand sitting yeah i mean it it sounds kind of cliche but you really do sit more and longer when you do sit because you're more comfortable for the entirety of the hunt right right yeah Um, it wasn't that long ago five six years ago it was just the game of how many you know pairs of sweatpants could i squeeze underneath this one you know printed camel layer of clothing that i have between september and december 31st <laughs> just being miserable out there and you know this is it's, do most it's people in minnesota have multiple pairs of sweatpants probably yeah <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised at all but yeah i mean getting down when it's late season it it's be, cold you could be sitting it's cold air temp if i lived in minnesota 10. i would have like Eight pairs of sweatpants. <laughs> eight sweatpants status. <laughs> How cold is it? It's about eight sweatpants morning. It's a good gauge. It's a good measure. <laughs> well, the other thing, too, is I think people forget that getting in and out of trees, it's important not to get sweated up. It's important not to get overheated. So breathable clothing that can deal with moistures, it can be important in that regard also for, sure. for whitetail hunters. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Well, okay, so we've talked about first light. Let's go. Let's talk about capture creative a little bit more. Yeah. So, you guys. Uh, so you're you're working with first light. It's the business is you and Taylor. Um, what would you say? What is your bread and butter media creation? Like, what do you love to do? I mean, we're definitely pretty diverse in in our capabilities and what we do. Um, it's not really one thing that, you know, makes up a bigger piece of the pie. Um, we do everything from photography to, you know, filmmaking to, uh, we, we help out with social media accounts for, for certain brands. And, um, I mean, it definitely all stemmed with photography and, and videography. Uh, yeah. That's. What about you? You just you though, like what's your, do you yeah, like photography? Yeah, do you like videography? I, mean, I increasingly the, you know, the whole cinematography and just making, making typical things, things that you see a lot or maybe otherwise, but just making them look visually appealing and trying to see them in a diff through a different lens. I mean, for instance, this week we were, we were doing stuff that I've never done before and trying to show that to people who are, could be in my same shoes of, you know, never seeing somebody shoot a bow and arrow off the back of a mule or, 
chasing squirrels down, you know, down a, down an old road or anything like that. You know, it's constantly the wheels are kind of spinning on how you can tell that story. And that's, it's not always easy, but man, it's, it's rewarding. And that's, that's what keeps you going. So it keeps me going at it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun this week. What I, what I learned this week watching you, cause I, I'm a videographer myself. Yep. You know, we, I make a lot of videos. So we, and I edit and I shoot still photography and what I saw this week, and I was really interested to see how you guys would operate, but I just saw uh, a level of excellence that helped me kind of up the bar just as I've, I've, as I've watched you deal with light. I mean, you're like a, you're like a, uh, I don't know the word to use, but I mean, just like light connoisseur, light connoisseur. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really all about, all about lighting and the, in the detail that you go to with lighting to get a certain shot. And, uh, it's always, it's always fun to, well, I've never done it before. Worked with somebody that yeah. was just at, at a, I mean, a different level. Yeah. Well, I mean, and regardless of what, what it is that you're doing like that, it's, I mean, for instance, even, even like you, me watching you, even though I was filming, I'm still taking in what you're doing and, and learning just kind of the general like woodsmanship and everything. And it, it definitely, it goes both ways. You know, when I'm, when I'm on a shoot like that, I'm constantly, constantly trying to just pick stuff up while I'm, you know, looking for light, looking for those angles, looking for the right composition, that sort of thing. It's, it's, you definitely, you learn more and you learn different things than you expect to on a shoot yeah. like this and even shoots last fall. Yeah. Sure. Now, do you mind telling us what kind of equipment your main camera? Is that cool? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. So this week, the, the main rig that I was filming with was, was a red camera. It's a Scarlet W. Um, awesome camera. Definitely not perfect for the conditions that we were, that we found ourselves in by any means, but, um, due to a variety of reasons, picture quality, um, the image that it puts out is, is incredible. The yeah. working with it in post is pretty incredible too with, you know, working with raw footage and it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a lot to deal with out there, but it's definitely yeah. worth it. Yeah. I would just interject that Jordan carried a red camera, which weighs, what do you think? Uh, it's gotta be close to 10, 12 pounds by the time it's kitted out. And you were oh, carrying yeah, your other minimum, gear too, though. Minimum. And I've seen Jordan carry it up and down mountains, but this week alone, Jer- Gort- Jordan carried it seven miles. Just on one day. Yeah. Slung over day. her shoulder. Yeah. And really not just carried it, but sort of pointed it for seven miles. <laughs> yes. There's seven miles of filming. That's probably another good metric it, that you can yeah, use for for real it was. <laughs> for distance. Yeah. So inside of this scenario, Ford, you're the you're the producer. So you're here with Jordan and you're like you're, I mean, you're, you don't really tell him what to do. I, it's been fun watching you guys work together because I've yet to hear you tell him to do something, but yet you're working, you're, you're, you're partnering together and you're kind of, it's kind of like y'all are both on the same bandwidth and, uh, you're co-laboring together. But so you're here like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I just, I generally know that, you know, Jordan and I discuss what we want to do and pretty much know that Jordan will get the shots. Um, yeah. Don't really have any. He's never not gotten them, let's put it that way. No yeah. pressure or anything. Yeah, but. no pressure at all. Yeah, let's keep it that way. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. the team aspect of it is pretty important too. We've been on enough shoots together where we kind of know, not even verbally, we don't really even have to say anything too often to each other to know what needs to happen and when and all the logistics of, of everything that goes into it. Yeah. Well, it's been it's been a lot of fun, and for me as a as a videographer, which certainly I would I don't talk about a lot about like camera gear or whatnot on this podcast, never have. But I'm kind of a I'm a I'm a aspiring videographer, and so I'm trying to learn as much as I can. But a red camera for those of you that wouldn't know what this is in the in the film world with people that are into film, a red camera is like iconic of like the best. So it's a neat neat piece of equipment. You've got a Ronin gimbal. They've been using yeah. some, but yep. yeah, yeah, it all adds. And it's important to say too, I mean, this feel pretty lucky to be able to run a camera like this, but it's not the gear that exactly know, it's, it's yeah. nothing to do. I could have shot this film on a camera that's 
much less than what that red is and still tell the story that we needed to tell but um just you know when you're when tools are available to you and you know, it's just like anything else. You want to use the best thing that you can to, to tell it. And sometimes right. this camera isn't the best and that, tool. That's a great, that's a great point is that, and I've learned that is that it, it is not because people ask you all the time, what kind of cameras do you, what kind of cameras do you shoot? What kind of cameras do you shoot? And you want to say the camera's not the limiting factor of your ability to Correct. tell a story, yep. you know, but, uh, but when you're, but it's good to have good equipment. Yep. But it's, that's not the limiting factor of how well no, no, videos I mean, look, do. Look at all your super successful videos, Clyde, through Bear Hunting Magazine. Yeah, and look how terrible the videography was. Is that where you're going <laughs> well, with this, Ford? Well, regardless. I'll tell another squirrel story about you. Those, yeah. Those <laughs> those videos have really landed, you know, uh, despite not having a red camera, for example. So, Ford, to segue into something totally different as we're closing down here, as the conservation director of First Light, Tell me, tell us what that means. Basically, I work uh, with our conservation partners, our NGO partners, kind of nonprofit groups, uh, to ensure that that First Light is doing its best to to give back to sort of the hunting tradition and the wild landscape that we based our business on, and that all our employees' passions are based on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of twofold there. Selfishness, selfishly, we're all hunters that that depend on wildland and wild places, and and the folks we sell gear to depend on wildlands and wild place, uh, wildlife and wild places. So. so that means you're coordinating. Can you give us an example? Yep. Yeah. So I'm. I work basically with our four current uh, partners in conservation quite a bit. That would be. Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, uh, the National Wildlife Federation, Pheasants Forever, and uh, the Teddy Roosevelt Conservation Partnership in supporting them uh, sort of on several fronts, obviously giving um, and and sort of donations that way, but also I think, in, and I think what's frankly kind of more important for a small company is education and outreach for them. Uh, making sure that that we can help them spread those messages that are so important via the small channels we have, um, you know, because obviously we're never going to donate as much as Procter and Gamble, but uh, if we can get people to call their senators or uh, on on important conservation legislation or inform people about wildlife diseases or or whatever it may be, I think I think that's maybe our most important contribution is our voice. Uh, to to a certain hunting demographic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. So is that so your your role inside of that is that like an everyday thing at First Light for you? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I mean that's like your primary because you're also doing some some Yo, marketing. Yes, you're doing some social no, media I have stuff. Several primaries, I suppose. Um, I also manage all of our photo and video content, which is you know arguably why I'm on here with Jordan. Um, so that's producing putting together photo shoots, uh, dealing, uh, and, and working with photo ambassadors, with photographers, setting up video shoots, um, you know, kind of managing the myriad of ways that photo and video come to first light and then helping to deploy them via social, via blogs, on the website, on ads, on, you know, print ads, whatever. So that's, that's one silo. And then, I help merchandise our website, so I, I put together sort of how products displayed to customers. I build that out. I manage copy um, and pricing, and and help execute. Just think, Ford, you started out as an intern. I was I was First Light's first. I'm intern. finding a theme here. I think yeah. First Light is like the dream, like the like the dream maker. Like yeah, this young this young chap from Maryland. Right. Probably didn't stand a chance anywhere else in the world. <laughs> Went to Ketchum, Idaho as an intern yep. and ends up as a conservation director, yep. a marketing yep. strategist. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's, and then this young chap, Minnesota boy who fishes on ice, which is bizarre and crazy, lands as a pro staffer on the first at, first light crew, and then all of a sudden he's making he's making movies for him. Yeah. Yeah, we, wow. We both got pretty lucky that way, I'd say. I would say yeah. So. No, but it, isn't that the cool thing about uh, 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 up and coming company that's you know thinking progressively? I mean, 
you know? yeah it's pretty neat it's pretty neat i mean I've, honestly with sort of the, the recent uh addition of, of this conservation element to my job i mean mm-hmm. if you had asked the ford of 2014 kind of what his ideal job was it would be pretty pretty stinking close to this one yeah it's, it's and you awesome. have a you have a really for you have a, a pretty extensive background in wildlife I yeah. mean, through your co- I mean, you were. Yep that that was really where I, that's where I was going. I mean, yeah. when I went to college, I was going to be a wildlife biologist, one hundred percent. I remember repeatedly my mother saying to me, "Well, you know, you just you don't necessarily have to do what you major in. You know, you just never know what you're going to do." And I said, "No, mom, it doesn't matter. I'm never going to stand by a desk and be a wildlife biologist." And uh, so that's that's what my major was: uh, conservation biology. My thesis, yeah. which we've I've talked about probably too much this week, was on uh, yeah, black bear habitat requirements <laughs> in the uh, in the southeast. And I worked for the Fish and Wildlife Service out of college, and also for the University of Delaware, uh, doing some deer trapping. So I was fully <laughs> down that path. And anyhow, I guess the long the wraparound is that that's come that's come kind of full circle in this yeah. in this newest position here at first light that's awesome man over there at first light I, I was i was really happy when i heard that you got that job that's that's incredible you know it it is our connection the first time that i met you you told me that you had read all these research projects about arkansas black bear and you'd done a study yeah and you were the first person that i had met aside from the game and fish bio the the program coordinator for the Arkansas Game of Fish, the bear coordinator, that had ever read these theses because there were only there's only a handful of research that oh, had yeah. been done in Arkansas. Yeah. And when I was in college, my story was I was going to college for environmental soil and water science, killed a bear on October first, two thousand one, kind of became mesmerized by Arkansas black bear when I realized that I didn't know anything about this animal I just killed. Went back to the University of Arkansas and started and somehow found these research thesis of all these students and there were only two or three official research studies at that time and uh, so i read the same papers you I'm did sure we did yeah oh i mean I there's wish. only there's not that many yeah we did we Absolutely. read the same papers yep. and yeah yeah so, yeah it was funny when we, were, when we were talking to your dad the other day he was actually i don't remember how i said it exactly but it's like yeah clay went to the university of arkansas he was studying bears he wasn't. He wasn't. I mean, he wasn't studying bears, but I think he was studying bears for something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I I spent a lot of time, uh, more time than I I should have been studying for the real thing I was there at school for. But uh, but no. No, it worked out for you. I mean, it worked out. It's funny how these things become your livelihood, even though they aren't yeah. necessarily the you know the the straight and narrow paths or how they come up. Like, I actually took a course in college in my senior year uh called adventure writing and filmmaking wow and did a project on bear hounding uh in vermont uh, while writing a thesis on bear, black bear habitat. it was really the year of the bear for me while writing this thesis on black bear habitat requirements and uh and it was funny because at the time that was such a one-off class i, I really liked it i had already i'd done quite a bit of writing i was interested in writing mm-hmm. I hadn't done any filmmaking and put it put together this film on black bear hunting, but it's funny how that of all things that has become the one class that's directly relevant to yeah. my career. Yeah, and all the other studying, though I think arguably indirectly, is 100 percent relevant. You well, know, you got a lot of street cred answer. here at the global headquarters. When yeah. I heard you, you made a bear hound hunting yeah. film. Well, just, you're probably the only person I ever got to talk to about my thesis very often. That's why I talked <laughs> to you about it too much. Yes, yes, you did. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's awesome. And then, and then you have a similar story, Jordan, of just taking a chance, starting a business. You got a family. Taylor's got a family. And, yeah. And you. You studied graphic design, but ended up pursuing a passion. I think that's the theme of yeah. of of everybody that's inside the outdoor industry. Yeah, you know, is that just pursuing never, your passion? Never count it out, and don't be afraid to stick your neck out there and yeah. make something happen. Yeah, yep. You never know where you might end up. Yeah. Well, guys, it's been a pleasure having you at the global headquarters. Jed is not in here, but uh, he. He, he probably will be as soon as you guys leave when we get that red camera out of the floor so he doesn't, like, mark it, you yeah. know. 
But uh, no, thanks for being on the on the podcast. And uh, man, we'll uh, any closing comments? Closing thought. Okay, go through your list of first, like yeah. this, 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 and then like say a ni- something nice about Arkansas. Jordan, go first. Man, it's small. Fair? Small game hunting is fun. I. It's just fun, isn't it? It's just yeah. I. I like I said, I didn't know what to expect coming into it, and opened my eyes. Yeah, yeah you might yeah, have yeah. converted this uh, this purebred whitetail hunter, purebred Great Lakes whitetail hunter. Go in there and stink up those deer woods, man. Uh, you know, we'll just we'll tiptoe <laughs> at first. We'll tiptoe at first. We'll uh, get there. We'll get there. Uh, but yeah, no. thank you for thanks for showing us what you do and the yeah. state you do it in. It's awesome. Yeah, had a great time. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, man! It was this is awesome, especially coming off trade show season. Yes, sort of the salty cynicism of trade show or, or consumer show season. Getting to come down here and do this was pretty fun. Yeah. First, do not include having a squirrel jump on me. Yeah, that happened to me in, in the past. But oh, that wasn't a first. No, no, okay. no, that happened to me. I had one jump out of the rafters of a garage onto me once. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what happened here. Jumped it really out of the rafters. It was strange. It's only happened once, but there was definitely this oh this again feeling actually on one <laughs> level when said squirrel jumped on my head. I've never seen one do that before. Yeah, you never know. Hmm. First, definitely though, include squirrel hunting with mules and dogs. I mean, the dogs yes. were. I guess we didn't talk about that, but man, the squirrel dog thing is cool. It's yeah. really neat. I was, yeah. I was very into that. Very into that. Um, yeah, squirrel hunting with dogs, raccoon hunting in general. That was totally new. Honestly, yeah. the only thing I had to compare it to is bear hunting. Yeah, uh, with dogs. It's really not a lot like it. No, yeah. no, not not that similar. Except for they they have the same structure, the baculi. Yeah. Yes, yes, we found that out. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, man, it was it was really neat, and seeing these mountains and hanging out in this this uh, this landscape, it was it was really special. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks a lot, guys, for coming down and uh, keep the wild places wild because that's where the bears live. Good. I like it. Is good, that your tag? good stuff. That's, that's my that's my that's my tag. Do you have a T-shirt that's that says that. <laughs> Never thought of it. Merchandising. Never thought of it. It's on, hey, it's on record of me saying it. I'll get a cut of that. Well, right? I as long as you give me a cut of the <laughs> gritty <laughs> not sloppy <laughs> yeah, film about Trey Newcomb. What's that? Gritty not sloppy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Clay Newcomb store. <laughs> yeah, Clay Newcomb store. <laughs> You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.